Hi, my name is Ryan McDonough, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, a Phoenix Sun show. And welcome to the Phoenix Suns Solar Panel Podcast. As you can probably tell already, I've lost my voice, but we're here making it through anyway. My name is Tim Tompkins, of course. And joining us, as always, Mr. Greg Esposito. Hi, my name's Greg Esposito. And we're excited <laughs> to be here for the Sun Solar Panel. Tim. <laughs> and, of course, Dave King, Managing Editor, Bright Side of the Sun. Hi, my name's Dave, and I think we're all just going to go into the sexy voices. Uh, Jesus Christ, guys. So I, we're recording this we morning. We love you, Tim. We really uh, love you. We're recording this morning, and it was really nice. Uh, prior to us recording, I got to watch some actual preseason basketball, and I don't know about you guys, but normally the off season to me, feels like an eternity. But this year, it felt like it was two weeks. Like I can't believe basketball is here already. Oh, come on, Tim. You're the same Tim that a month ago said, oh, my God, this is so long of an off season. When are we going to have basketball? This is so lame. You did that for four straight weeks. I'm so I sick of August. August. <laughs> well, oh. I think I think that more had to do with having to come up with content for the show when there ain't nothing going on. But still, you experienced it. The longest off season, I think I remember you saying, and now you're saying the shortest. Uh, I mean, I don't remember saying that, but you know, whatever. There's a lot of things I don't remember saying on this show, but it, it, I don't know. I feel like making it up, but that's okay. Are you, uh, are are you guys surprised to already? How you feeling? Basketball's here finally. I I'm more surprised in general that it's October than uh, than just that basketball's here. It feels like uh, 2019 is a blur completely. Which is probably because we uh, we do this twice a week, and we're talking about a team that's uh, won, you know, what I, I think in total seventy games, and in the three <laughs> years that we've uh, we've done this, so so I think that's in part why uh, why it feels like that. But I I, I am so distracted that between is shocking. We have done more podcasts than the Suns have have won basketball games. Uh huh. Well, significantly more uh, more podcasts than the Sons of War Basketball. Well, even not counting the off season, like if you just go during the season, we've mm-hmm. still done more podcasts. Yeah, and we've shown up more consistently than they have too. It's yeah. pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, we have. I am so distracted by it between Kelly Oubre sits out with discomfort in the hand, and yet Tim is right here on the pod. With no voice, and he's got discomfort in the ass because he's got to deal with both of us. Uh, you know, uh, th- th- take that as you will, but uh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I am so distracted by Tim's voice uh, with him in these headsets. It looks like uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, we. Uh, Tim and I wear these like uh, call center headsets. It really looks like he's working at a, uh, a phone sex line. It's it, it's distracting <laughs> with the voice and the headset. So. Hey, I, I, I do want to say, too, we've been talking about our fantasy basketball league. Um, so we're now opening this up to any listener that really wants to get in. You can hit us up at 
Sun Solar Panel on Twitter. So we are drafting Sunday, October 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'm pretty sure that is 6 p.m. Arizona time. It's going to be an auction draft. If you're interested in joining, tweet to us at Sun Solar Panel. There's only a few spots left. And again, this is Sunday, October 13th, 9 p.m. Eastern. And if you cannot make the draft and you're going to auto draft, do not join the league. That's that's the only thing about it. No auto drafting on this one. But if you're interested, please hit us up. Um, and we'd love to have you for our fancy basketball team this year. Uh, so one bit of, of preseason news is so TJ Warren, his first game with the Pacers, dropped 30 for the overtime win. Uh, I caught a little bit of the game this morning that uh, that they're playing first quarter. TJ Warren looks great. Uh, Suns fans already all up in arms about uh, what the Suns had to basically give up to get rid of him. Uh, how you guys feeling about uh, TJ Warren looking good so far? So he scored 30 more points than the entire Suns team put together already, and that's pretty damn good. Hey, look, look. Why is everybody overlooking what cash considerations is going to bring to this roster? It just it really pisses me off that nobody wants to wants to acknowledge that that is exactly what this roster needed. Uh, if you over throw TJ Warren. out cash onto the court, and and our players are trained not to step on the on the bills, you know, and then the other team might slip and fall, and then the Suns get open shots. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just it, it's just what they need. And look, okay. This was a great offseason when you look at it in totality. And sure, maybe they lost the uh, the T.J. Warren part. And I'm not even, I mean, we're talking one preseason game. I mean, I, I'm saying in general, maybe uh, along the way, it turns out that that was a loss. But in totality, this was an improvement of an offseason. And when you're trying to rebuild the culture, rebuild the locker room, Look at these things and try to make sure that you uh, that you're getting a winning culture. I just think T.J. Warren's time here ha- had run out, and I get it. Oh well, you could have gotten more. I'm pretty sure they probably called and tried to get more than than what they wound up uh, doing to to get rid of T.J. Warren out of Phoenix. I just don't know that there was much of a market, and that I mean. That could that could be on everybody. I mean, everybody could look bad because nobody wanted to take T.J. Warren in the long run. But overall, this team is better than they were, and I think they're better for the future. And losing T.J. Warren may be a loss, but in totality, this whole offseason was a win. He's a he, look. He's a really good player, but I think I can count on on like one or two fingers. How many games I left the game going, Suns don't win that game without TJ Warren's contributions. I mean, he is a good player. He really is. And I always liked watching him. I never, I wrote years ago that he would not be a good pairing next to Devin Booker on the wing because you need somebody who can play a little bit of defense around him. And now with Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges, I didn't want TJ Warren taking their minutes away. Um, So we went into the offseason, this offseason, saying, Gosh, there's four small forwards, including Josh Jackson, on this team. And which two would you keep? And everybody to a man said Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges, but there's no way the Suns can accomplish getting rid of the other two guys. And they did. Now, it was was a slash and burn, sure. Between Josh Jackson and T.J. Warren, they gave up assets to get, get off of those. Uh, contracts. And if you're looking at maximizing each individual deal, the Suns did not do that. But to Greg's point, the Suns are much better off. You have to look at the total picture. You have to look at the 
the, uh, James Jones was not trying to win the transaction war. He was trying to win the offseason and get a good team on the court. And when I was up there at training camp this week, uh, the, it, it, Tyler Johnson, who was here for the second half of last year, and was the one who said, man, every other team, all they, they know, all you got to do is wait out the Suns to fall apart and you'll win the game. Tyler said it's a completely different feeling this year. And training camp is always optimism city, but it, he, he was really clear how different everything was this year. Well, and the other thing with TJ Warren, too, that, I mean, yeah, he scored 30 in a preseason game. But <clears> let's <throat> remember that uh, he'll miss 30 games. During the regular season, it's almost you can almost pencil it in that that's what happens with this guy. He'll play fifty to to seventy games max and and not be around. And who knows? Maybe that changes in Indiana. Yeah. But but that's I just been the way TJ's it has been. Safe. He plays eighty two games. I do too. But uh, what's really going to happen? He's got it. He's got limits. Well, eighty two plus playoffs because it's the East. Um, <clears throat> what's really going to happen, though, is the Pacers are going to find out that TJ does have some limitations. He doesn't pass the ball. He rebounds really badly for a forward, for somebody you need rebounds from. And he doesn't do a whole lot. He gets some steals, so his defense metrics, because there's so few metrics on defense, look a little bit better than uh, they really should. Um He's going to end up as their sixth man. He's going to average about 16, 18 points a game off the bench. He's like a basically a 6'8 version of a Leandro Barbosa, except without the three or four assists a game. You guys are too low on TJ Warren. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do uh, have a couple of uh, questions, though. Um, wait, wait, Tim, Tim, Tim. Yeah. When I say 16, 18 points off the bench with a few rebounds, um, uh, you really think that's too low? Well, for one, I think he's going to be a starter on this on this squad. I don't necessarily think that he's going to be the. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a, a six man off the bench. Uh, I mean, to your point, when Victor Oladipo comes back, that there might uh, be a possibility that his scoring goes down. But then again, you look at this team. Uh, there were times last year the Pacers specifically where their offense really slowed. Um, and I do think that TJ Warren helps out with that. He's one of the few isolation players that they have, especially apart from uh, Victor Oladipo that you can uh, get it to him at the nail. You can get it to him at the block. Like he can, he can run, uh, he can get his own bucket and there's few players in the NBA that can get their own bucket. And those types of players are really valuable. Uh, and so I, I do think that he's one of them. His rebounding is not great. His defensive numbers aren't great. Completely agree. But he's a guy that goes and gets buckets. Like, he's a, he's a good player. Um, you can use that type of player on your team. For the Suns, it didn't necessarily work out. Personally, I think they probably should have kept him. But, you know, at the same time, they had Kelly Oubre, who they want to sign to a longer-term deal. They have Mikel Bridges, uh, who they're developing, that is probably the small forward of the future for the team. So I get it. But I, I don't think that we should be so low on TJ Warren to say he's just a 16- to 18-point bench guy. But um, at this but point that's in his not, career. There's nothing wrong with being like 16, 18 point bench guy is a huge win uh, out of a draft class from Ryan McDonough. I mean, think about that. I mean, in, when you compare it to the other talent that that was brought in, I mean, that he that's a good thing. I don't think that's an insult to say TJ Warren will average 16 to 18 points uh, off the bench for a team. I think that's his ideal uh, position too in the long run. We talked about it here, but uh, Tim, would you have rather they kept kept T.J. Warren over Kelly Oubre in the in the long run? I mean, 
I, I even the short run. Yeah, yeah, true. Over the next two years, would you rather they had kept T.J. Warren and let Kelly Oubre walk? Because that was probably the reality of it all. Yeah, I mean, with that, with that, I'm not sure. I guess we'll we'll wait and see. I do think the Kelly Oubre is a better fit for this specific team. Uh, T.J. Warren, uh, his fit wasn't great. Uh, Kelly Oubre can and needs to bring more on the defensive end of the floor than uh, T.J. Warren was able to do. That you know, that's a good point. So if you just look at their raw stats, T.J. Warren and Kelly Oubre are probably about the same. Um, if I look them up, they might look like mirror images of each other on the raw stats. But uh, Kelly Oubre has much more defensive potential, and Kelly Oubre's uh, energy, his his presence around the team, his effect on the team when he does play, he is a dog. He's a dog out there, man. He he plays hard when he's on the court. When he's off the court, you forget about it. You know, you just see him in his in his pretty little clothes and all that, and he looks like he's the softest tissue paper. But when he's on the floor, he is a tough player, and that that energy, that presence, is what really makes a difference for this Suns team. So even though the bottom line stats, the the actual just points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game, they're almost mirror images of each other. I have a huge preference for Kelly Oubre over TJ Warren. One thing some people in the chat are bringing up too that uh, that I didn't bring up is the, the durability issue. I mean, TJ Warren, just because of the way he played, constantly injured, I think sometimes those injuries might have dragged out a little bit more than they needed to, especially last season. Um, uh, but there, there is a factor in that where sometimes your best asset is uh, as a player is simply being available to play. Well, and he was a weird, he was a weird dude with some of that stuff. Like I, I just, I think it had, it, it wore its course it, it, in he, he and the sons were at the end of their time together. I don't think he really wanted to be here. I don't think they really wanted him here. So sometimes that's a big factor uh, in it as well, in, in just moving on from somebody. Yeah, no, completely uh, completely true. So, so I just I, want to close out by saying I'm not a T.J. Warren hater. Of course, people who are haters always say they're not haters. I get it. Um, so you can think I am if you want to, but I really like T.J. Warren as a player. I just don't think he was the right fit for the Suns, and I'm okay with how they got rid of him, the way they got rid of him. They didn't have to take back any money. These rumors that they could have gotten more for T.J. Warren – would have required the Suns taking back money. Um, so, And in this case, really they did take back money, but just the cash, which is awesome. They didn't they didn't have to take back bad contracts. They, took back they just took bit. back – they just got cash in general. So that's a win. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Your favorite player on the team, Greg, is cash considerations. Look, it's it's a is running that's a, gag. That's a big, yeah, I know. It's a big it's a big dig at, at Robert Sarver, and he deserves it. Um, so I get that. Uh, shout out. I want to thank a couple of supporters of the show. First, I want to thank Rip93 Ford, who is watching in the YouTube chat, who just donated to the show. Thank you so much, man. If you want to join thank the Fantasy you. Basketball League, uh, hit us up on Twitter. Give me your email. And I also want to thank my supporter of the show, uh, of the podcast specifically, who hit the support the show button, Brian Stewart. He made the $10 option. Of course, you can always do the one, the five, or or for the 10. Uh, if you do the $10 option, I'll personally send you some sun swag. I sent some stuff out last week. A couple of listeners tweeted that out if you want to kind of see what some of the stuff is. But uh, Brian, do me a favor. Hit us up, Sun Solar Panel. Let me know your address, and I'll get that out to you. And thank you so much for your support. I really Brian Stewart, I'm looking forward to you helping out with Brightside Night again this year. 
And we'll try to get you some uh, special stuff for that as well. Uh, Brian Stewart is a great supporter of all things suns and bright side and solar panels. So it's awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. I, I really hope that uh, RIP 93 Ford is uh, a dude that just sold a really crappy 93 Ford and donated the five bucks that he made <laughs> off of it to us. Um, <laughs> so thank you, guys. Uh, we appreciate your support. If he only got $5, he did not maximize his assets, and he's just like another son's. He, he traded two second-round picks with that Ford as well to get that 5 bucks. So, But he got the $5 cash consideration. He so. did, and it all comes back to that. So, <laughs> so Dave, I was on brightsideofthesun.com, and I was uh, reading an article that you had put up post-training camp, and there were a couple things that, that stood out to me, and I wanted to kind of get your take on it. I, I read uh, your follow-up paragraph to it, but it seemed like maybe you had thought a couple of things, too. Uh, and the quote is, the guards, the guard groups were interesting at the end of this practice. You had a Kobo, Jared Harper, uh, Javon Carter, and other young guards, including Cameron Johnson, with Ty, uh, while Ty Jerome excuse me, I'm not reading well, worked in a foursome with Devin Booker, Tyler Johnson, Ricky Rubio. When I first saw that, I thought to myself, yeah, they're putting uh, they're putting the, the players that are going to play with the players that are going to play. <laughs> and, and it makes sense. I mean, you see that a lot in practices uh, mm -hmm. all over from, uh, you know, going from, from elementary school when they're getting into sports all the way up. That's kind of what they do. Do you have any takeaways from that? Yeah, I was only there the one day, so it's quite possible they switch it up every single day. I don't know if the coaches put those foursomes together or if the players did just because they hang out and they like each other. I really don't know, but I thought it was quite interesting. I asked a couple of people who were up there for the week, and they said, don't read much into it. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, but I kind of thought it was a big deal. I mean, they've been talking up Ty Jerome all week. Devin Booker talked up Ty Jerome a lot uh, two different times this week, and not to me, but to uh, Evan Sidery with Brightside and, and Locked on Suns as well. Um, so I think that Ty Jerome has made an impression. Does that last beyond training camp? We don't know. We really don't. But uh, if you're if you're really looking at hierarchies and stuff, Elia Kobo is not there um, with the top four, and neither is Javon Carter and, and all that. So those other guys were shooting by themselves in their little group. Same thing with uh, Frank and Dario. Frank and Dario were shooting together, rotating in and out of uh, taking threes and, and free throws and different uh, angles. And then the other backup big men were on a different court shooting together as well. So I, I, I tend to think I tend to go toward the gosh, it looks like Ty Jerome is the fourth guard right now on the team. Doesn't mean he'll stay there through the end of preseason, but I think right now he is the fourth guard. When uh, when I heard that foursome, I thought. That's an attractive foursome. Uh, it, it was the the initial thought when I read that. But no, I, I think it's encouraging because Ty Jerome. It, it sounds like he's coming in as a, as advertised, right? He's coming in as a guy that uh, is is mature, understands uh, what his limitations are, but also what he's good at, and he's just going to get in there uh, and do his thing. And and every quote that I read was he's just picking up. Uh, where he left off uh, in the NCAA tournament with Virginia, and that's that's encouraging. That's why uh, why James Jones drafted uh, Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson because they were guys that came in ready. They they were guys that were mature. They had high basketball IQ, uh, and what you expect is when a guy like that comes in, 
it's he's not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. He's not going to be overwhelmed by the idea of being in the NBA. He's going to come in and he's going to perform. And it sounds like he's he's done that through the first week of uh, of this team being together, and that's encouraging. So about Kim Johnson, real quick, um, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting, and I wasn't there for this particular interview, so. I didn't hear his voice, but I talked to Dario Sharch on Monday on media day, and I got the impression that he's a straight shooter. He'll, he'll say what's on his mind and he doesn't, uh, uh, he doesn't, isn't fun with, uh, he doesn't, isn't a fan of platitudes and, and stuff like that. Um, and then two days later, he says in one of the little post-practice interviews with the scrum that he really likes Cam Johnson. And he was sure that Cam Johnson would be a part of the regular rotation after a couple of days of training camp. And again, grain of salt, big grain of salt. Throw the entire salt shaker over your shoulder. This is just training camp, walkthroughs. No one's playing full speed. So anyone who, uh, if you're worried about their ability to keep up with NBA players, you don't know it yet. Nobody knows it yet. But Dario really liked how Cam played. And this is Dario's fourth year in the league. And he sounded pretty confident that Cam would be in, uh, was is a rotation caliber player. And then other guys talking about Ty Jerome, I mean, these guys might be – they don't have the highest ceiling at all, but they, they definitely can be functional and good NBA players. We'll just see if it's this year or not. But I would I would caution everybody to use a grain of salt, a big grain of salt, and wait throughout the preseason to see what happens. A year ago, we thought Shaq Harrison was going to be the starting point guard of the Suns. Okay. Well, I mean <clears> – <throat> Still pissed about them letting him go. Uh, a couple of things. But he's so not I was, a point guard. He's, the thing is, he he did play for the Bulls, the other worst team in the league, uh, and he played mostly wing for them. And the Suns didn't need um, him as a wing player last year. So uh, he he is a guy spirit wise, intensity wise would be missed. But the Suns have that now in Javon Carter, and we'll see if he gets on the court. So watching the uh, the Pacers and the Kings preseason games, uh, their starters played a little over 30 minutes, which is, I think, a little bit unusual. Uh, but then I got to thinking, when we're watching the Suns preseason games, are we going to see that that kind of minute total for the starters, especially given that this is, you know, largely a group that really needs to start to gel together? You know, they haven't played with Ricky Rubio before specifically. I doubt that Ricky Rubio is going to play that kind of minutes coming off of uh, FIBA where he played – uh, a, a lot of minutes to win that title and that MVP there. I, I think they're probably going to be more judicial with uh, with how much he plays. Uh, I think the other factor in that uh, in that Indy uh, and Sacramento, aren't they? I mean, they're playing in a foreign country, correct? I, I, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention. Yeah, they're but, playing in India. Yeah, so I, I'm sure the NBA was like, hey, please put your best foot forward. Uh, to to show off our league uh, since we're playing in a country that uh, Adam Silver mentioned earlier this week that he'd like to consider starting a pro league there in the next few few years. So I think that probably plays a factor in why you're seeing so many of their starters play minutes too. I would still expect the Sun starters to play 20 to 24 minutes. That 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 would be the expectation that I would have half the game. I think Monty would probably have that kind of uh, minutes limit on his starters, and then he'll get because he'll want to go 15 deep in those preseason games, uh, at least at least 13, if not 15 deep. That's generally what you do because you're trying to round out the end of the roster and the end of the rotation. Um, so we're going to see a lot of the young guys. <clears throat> if we don't see a lot of Jalen Lequeux, I think that's a hint that he's not ready for the NBA. There's been a couple of hints this week 
<clears throat> that Jalen is a great athlete, but he's still trying to figure out the game. So he's not like day one fitting in as a just turned 19 year old. Hey, surprise, surprise. 19 year olds aren't quite ready for the NBA. What do you, what do you know? Shocker. Um, so he might, <clears throat> he might fade in to the background a little bit uh, while we see more of Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson and Sheck Diallo and guys like that. <clears throat> so we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, but uh, 20 to 24 minutes is what I'd expect. Uh, the Suns first preseason game is Tuesday night. So as Dave goes and pauses his mic and clears his throat, we do have a listener who <laughs> wanted to see, uh, well, it's, that's really all for my podcast editing. So, you know, uh, we I was concerned he's dying, but you can go that route too. That's fine. So we, we had a, we had a listener that wanted to see the pop sockets that we're sending out. And I, so Greg, can you see this on the camera? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You, your light's harsh there. There, that's better. Yeah, that's better. All right. So they're the timeline ones. There you go. I do want to thank a couple of other supporters on the YouTube chat for uh, uh, supporting the show right now. Tanto, uh, as well as Rick Johnson, really do appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Again, you want to join the YouTube or the YouTube, the uh, Fancy Basketball League. Holler us on Twitter. I'll get you in there. So one thing I want to talk about in, in terms of when you're looking at Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome, uh, Dave, you had a piece on Brightside. Look, I actually am helping you promote that site uh, that talked about Monty Williams wanting to have a 10-man rotation. I believe that was you, yep, uh, Dave. That was me. Uh, so uh, I think it's I think it's interesting that that he there's enough talent here to have a 10-man rotation. We're not used to that uh, to have a, a legit 10-man rotation. But uh, it sounds like based on uh, based on week one. Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson have proven that they deserve a spot in there. So really, uh, it looks like there's one spot left that that this group is uh, is battling for to play Two regular spots. minutes. So okay, so you've got you've got the five. I'm assuming the five starters, but also assuming the top three bench guys. So between there's there's eight guys for sure that are going to play as long as they're healthy. <clears throat> You've got Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre Jr., Dario Saric, and DeAndre Ayton as the five starters in my book. It's possible Bridges beats out Oubre, but I don't see it happening. And then coming off the bench for sure every night, Tyler Johnson. God, they love Tyler Johnson. And, you know, you, if you anybody who watched that YouTube video of my interview with Tyler, um, you'd fall in love with him and want him on your court too. Um, but so Tyler – Mikel Bridges and Aaron Baines, right? So that's eight guys. Um, if Monty wants to go 10 regular, he might not be talking about the same 10 every game, the same last two, but we haven't talked about Frank yet. Frank's the only really proven can stretch the floor as a big man uh, guy, not named Dario Sarge out there. So, and Aaron Baines on small volume can shoot threes, but he's not going to be a big volume guy. So I think Frank is going to get end up getting minutes um, <clears throat> and so that leaves one spot and the one spot between Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson probably depends on the matchups. You might see a Sheck Diallo out there depending on matchups. So I think that 10th spot is kind of a rotating one, but, um, it is interesting that they really do like the rookies that much. Yeah. I like, she I like Sheck Diallo. I, I think that he's gonna, I think that he's gonna play to your point. I think there's a good chance that, that Sheck really plays out Frank Kaminsky for some minutes, honestly. I wouldn't mind that either, but uh, the Suns, I think it depends on how the offense develops, right? So if they're really reliant on the big men clearing out a little bit of room, 
um, and and stretching the floor, then Check Diallo is not going to play much. But if they're looking for activity and hustle and they don't mind clogging up the paint a little bit, then then Check can be out there. So it just depends on what they're reliant on for their offense to be successful. Well, I think to your point, too, it's going to rely on matchups. I mean, I, I could see nights where Frank doesn't play a lot, if uh, in particular if that three isn't falling and uh, and they're playing a more physical four on the other team. I mean, there's not a lot of nights that that happens in the NBA. But, uh, you know, I read a, a piece from, uh, I think it was Michael Pena over on uh, SB Nation talking yeah. about uh, kind of laying out his argument for how DeAndre Ayton could grow in in year two and also how he could make sense as a power forward. And reading through it, I, I started to go, I could buy some more minutes of, of depending on the matchup of Ayton at power forward because he very much could dominate some of these smaller, basically wing guys that these teams are, are jamming in there uh, as, as in this positionless world where instead of buying into what the trend is, you, you go the opposite direction and you force teams to have to deal with a, a physical beast in, in DeAndre Ayton going up against lesser fours with Aaron Baines potentially uh, taking care of, of their center. Uh, it it actually made a lot of sense. It was intriguing to read, and I at least hope they experiment with it based off of what we talked about in James Jones's comments last week. Yeah, that's interesting with James talking about that. I don't see Monty Williams being that kind of experimenter, but we'll find out, won't we? I mean, Monty is pretty traditional as far historically. He's a pretty traditional head coach. He, he likes the point guard. He likes the, all the positions being the old school types. I'm not sure if we'll see five, six, seven guys out there, and I'm not sure we'll see um, a lot of bigs out there at once. And, and I mean, they might experiment like against a Sixers team that has Al Horford at power forward and Joel Embiid in the middle for sure they, they'd have to play you know the two big guys together but but I'm not really convinced you, I, I, you, I gotta you see just, it to believe it you just said Monty's more of a traditional guy well if he's a traditional guy Dario Saric <laughs> isn't your traditional power forward somebody more built like DeAndre Aiden is more of a traditional uh, power well I'm not forward. talking 90s traditional I'm talking I'm talking where the power forward can do a little bit of stretch, okay. but also, so, um, so yeah, more conventional as of today's game than traditional as of uh, the the nineties. All right, I get where I get where you're going. I thought I caught you yeah. in something. I go ah, but I did ah! not. I did not. <laughs> so, uh, no. So yeah. Dave, tell me what 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 did you take out of? training camp with with Monty specifically I mean as we brought up on the show we don't really know exactly what he's going to do we've uh, seen his head coaching style but that was a long time ago uh, we've uh, seen him as an assistant coach but did, did you get any any takeaways at all from from what you've seen out of Monty at training camp no we don't we don't get any uh, view into the, actually what they're running uh, we really don't the first thing you'll see we'll see a little bit of is at the open scrimmage on Sunday, um, but that's really just going to be a walkthrough as well. So I'm not sure we'll see anything until a couple of preseason games in. I'm really curious. Monty historically has been more interested in efficient offense than he is again uh, than fast offense, and I'm not sure he thinks uh, leading the league in threes is a good idea. So I'm really curious. I, I have a feeling it's going to be a more conservative offense than fans are going to want. 
but it'll be fairly efficient. Uh, and then hopefully he'll be able to mix and match on defense enough to be able to make the defense effective. Um, so we're not going to see that. I don't, I don't think we're going to see the Suns leading the league in pace. I don't think we're going to see them leading uh, even in top five on threes. I, I really see the Suns just being more methodical, not slow, uh, but probably uh, middle to bottom third on, on pace. That's my guess, but I really don't know. We haven't seen anything at all. He just seems like more of a laid back, well, detail oriented, but, but uh, quieter kind of leader that isn't going to say push, 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 push constantly. He's going to want to see these guys set up an offense and execute it. It, it sounded based on his comments that uh, whatever system they're putting in, uh, it was a little mentally taxing on some of these guys as uh, <clears throat> as they were they were exhausted anything, physically anything and mentally. By the end of somebody the week. is mentally taxing um, uh, over three straight days, and then asking them to execute it. Um, uh, we've heard that for five straight years too. Is is this new scheme is is tough to pick up, and then oh. by December we're going to have a we're scaling back the offense and defense because they're too complicated. To be fair, under Earl Watson, they were just like, uh, there's, so there's no system? This is very mentally taxing <laughs> because we we don't get why this is the case. So uh, Tyler Johnson, um, he uh, spoke highly so far, it seems like, of, of Monty. I thought that his comment, you guys kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but saying how the huddles were so quiet last year and that, you know, this year, essentially paraphrasing, they aren't going to be. And I was just thinking, you haven't been in any huddles this year. Where, where is he getting this from? Hey, they, they huddle during during training camp scrimmages. Uh, you know, I, I, I've had the privilege of, of watching some of them in, in the closed sessions back back in the day when, uh, yeah. when I'm going to be part of the broadcast team. Uh, so, uh, like, it's it, they huddle. They, they treat it as if... Uh, if they're playing, I mean, it's usually not with Monty Williams or, or whoever the head coach is. It's usually an assistant coach running, running each side with the head coach kind of overseeing and and floating around. So, and the take I got for when Tyler was talking about it being dead quiet last year was that first minute or two when the coaches are not in the huddle with the players. Like the coach calls timeout, players walk to the sideline, they sit down in the chairs or whatever and the coaches huddle in the midcourt and talk about what they're going to do next because that was awful and that's why i called a timeout um there's that one or two minutes where the coaches are not in the huddle before they get in there and tell the players what to do that was dead quiet last year and tyler wasn't used to that from having years in miami where they had much more mature players and they were and the players were trying to commiserate amongst each other first and then the coaches came in and said what we're doing next so um, Tyler's hoping that'll change. He knows he's got some more mature guys around him now that are used to trying to solve their own problems. Basically what he was saying is these guys, and maybe it was time of the year too. Uh, Tyler came in, in the second half of the year and the guys were already beaten down on a 80%, you know, losing rate. And they were tired of talking and they didn't know what to say. I mean, the, oh man, there's still DeAndre. And let's talk about DeAndre Ayton for a minute. Um, he is still pretty oblivious to what's going on. He's just a big kid just playing a game of basketball. And I don't blame Monty saying, you know, um, that I don't expect Aiden to be a leader. And you know, and Devin Booker agreeing and saying, well, I mean, he can lead in his own ways by example and by effort and stuff like that. But <clears throat> DeAndre is still just kind of just hanging, 
chilling. And with Josh Jackson and then a dejected Devin Booker, um, I can totally see why they would run out of things to say to each other in huddles before the coaches were ready to lay into them on what they did wrong and then what to do next. Um, and Tyler's hoping that'll change this year. And I, and I can see he's just excited. He's projecting. And I, and I hope that's true. Well, he's talking about communication behind him on the defensive end as well as a, as a yeah. guard, right? So, so even that's encouraging. And I know, yes, training camp, you tend to uh, be in that kind of mindset more so than uh, two-thirds of the way through uh, a, a terrible year. But th- that's encouraging that he feels like they're they're communicating better on the court uh, as well. So it, it's good. Uh, look, we're going to hear a lot of things over the next few weeks that sounds really good. I mean, that's just the way training camp preseason plays out because right now everybody's 0-0, hope springs eternal, and, and that's just the way – it is. It's it's the old and it's cliche now, but the old uh, Mike Tyson. Everybody has a plan till you get punched in the mouth. Like when we'll really understand what this team is when they get punched in the mouth the first time this season. When they lose three in a row. When they when they lose, they get blown out in a game. How do they respond? Then I want to know. How is the communication in the huddles? What's the communication like uh, on the defensive end? Those kind of things matter more, obviously, when we get to that point. But it, right now, it beats the alternative. If they were talking about, well, we need to get better in our communication, it's really quiet out there still, that would be immensely concerning. Right now, it, this is just kind of what you expect to hear. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question, Dave. Just because you're really on the the ground level for so many of these games, and you were last year. Oftentimes, it's obviously going to be one of the bigs, the five or the four, that is yelling out on on the defensive end. Because most of the time, it's the guards up there, you know, with people setting screens, screen left, screen right, fight under, go over that sort of thing. Like the guard needs the big to be the one communicating that. Like it, it just that's how it works, right? Um, how was DeAndre Ayton? Uh, last year at yelling out those screens for the guards that, that were up there at the top of the key? Uh, to be, I wasn't on the court a lot, but I talked to other folks that were. And uh, the takeaway is that depending on his mood and how the game is going for him is is whether he's going to talk much on defense or not. Were the guards getting pissed? Because guards that run into like really yeah. strong screens because no one yelled out screen, right? Well, and <laughs> think get, about it. A lot of times, Dragon Bender was the other big. Right. Um, and Bender is not a talker either. And Marquise Chris, well, he's a talker, but he's not a talker. Uh, not an Marcus intelligent Christian, talker. Right, he's not a dude who's going to call out where he is defensively. Um, uh, Matt Moore, who came on a few weeks ago, was talking, saying he broke down a lot of the Suns' play last year, and what he saw is nobody throwing a really good screen once, um, except for Quincy AC a couple of times, and Quincy AC was on a 10-day. Um, <clears throat> so I think there was a lot of quiet out there on the court as well last year. And Tyler will help that because Tyler and Ricky, even though they're guards, they'll help demand that the bigs call out where they are. And that's my hope is that that these guys hold each other accountable and you don't let a big be quiet more than a few plays in a row. That's the kind of thing you talk about in timeouts, where if you've given up three straight scores, that's when your coach is like, oh, God, timeout. And then the players go to the sideline and they're just waiting for the coach to tell them what to do. 
this is where Ricky and Tyler and guys like that can jump in there on the big men and say, look, the reason we gave up those scores is because I didn't know where the hell you were on, you know, defensively. You've got to call it out. You can't get away with this. And uh, DeAndre said this week, he's like, yeah, Ricky's been in my ear all week about, you know, this and that. Um, and so as long as things are going okay and guys haven't completely checked out, they will hold DeAndre more accountable. No, he's not a natural defensive talker, but Aaron Baines is. So the things that what's really interesting is that the things that DeAndre is not good at, Aaron Baines is really good at. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Aaron Baines rubs off on DeAndre a little bit and the guards expect more of DeAndre because they're getting it from Aaron Baines and they've got it from their prior centers uh, more as well. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I know uh, DeAndre is not a natural calling out where he is. He said early in the season he would be, and he didn't turn out to be that way. And hopefully this year he'll be required to be better. By well, his, not even his not even just where he is, but you know, a lot of the times when when you're guarding the ball handler, you're hyper focused <clears throat> on the ball handler, right? So it, it's yeah. hard to see a, a screen that's been set to your right and a screen that's been set to your left. You know, whatever. It's it's really hard and, to see. And that Tyler was saying, absolutely, you're right, Tim. And Tyler was just saying, Tyler Johnson just the other day saying he loves the fact that they're all calling out where they are, not just the big man. You're right, but I was focusing on you said mostly it's the big man talking. Um, it. Um, you're right. They're all having, they're all calling out where they are. And Tyler's cause Tyler said that he said, I'm you're, you're on an Island when you're guarding, you know, the really good players, you got Steph, you got Kyrie and you're out there and you've got to know where your help is. Cause then you got to know how to, how to adjust and what's, what side to shade on the, on the player you're on. So yep. absolutely. It's it, everyone's going to have to talk and so far so good. And we'll see how long it lasts. Look, and Aaron ba- Aaron Baines is not going to let DeAndre Ayton slide on things. We've already seen uh, how much of a talker that guy is, and and we know that he doesn't put up with uh, with anything. So I think that's a big part of why they acquired him was just to stay on uh, on Ayton's backside if uh, if he is sliding on those kind of things. Well, and and Darius Arch may not be a totally vocal guy. I don't know. I really don't about him, but. Um, he gets in the right place at the right time. He's a really good team defender, even though he's not the fastest or quickest. Um, he's a good team defender. He rotates well. And um, I would expect that he's, he's got to be pretty good at calling out where he is on, on being in the right place at the right time. So there's a, there's a lot of helpers out there. There's not incredible athletic defenders and the big spots right now, um, even though Aiden is super athletic he doesn't use that defensively that well unless he's the one with the ball right in front of him. He's got a lot to learn, and hopefully Baines, uh, to Greg's point, Baines can help him learn that and require him to learn that. And and James Jones even mentioned in the, in the offseason that everybody caused another firestorm. Hey, man, if we need somebody out there in crunch time, it could be Baines out there defensively in crunch time. Um, and that might be that Aiton slides to power forward in those moments or that Aiton sits and watches from the sideline because Baines is doing the job that the center's supposed to be doing and Aiton's not. Of course, if Aiton's at 25 points and 12 rebounds, he's not going to get pulled uh, for a guy who call out a couple of defensive pos- uh, possessions better. Uh, but if Aiton's having an otherwise kind of floaty game where he's just kind of there – and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Monty goes, eh, let's get Aaron in there for a couple of minutes and see what happens. 
So watching on YouTube right now, do us a big favor, hit that thumbs up button. It really does help with the YouTube algorithms. My uh, sons have three preseason games coming up this week, a little bit wild still to me. So uh, on Tuesday, they take on the Timberwolves. On Thursday, and I'll be there. Very on exciting. Thursday, they're uh, on the road against the Kings, and then they play in Phoenix again on Saturday against the Portland Trailblazers. It's crazy. Three, what? They only play four preseason games, and three of them are this week. The regular <laughs> season is right around the corner, people. Yeah. The uh, regular season is, is very close. Yeah. What are you guys going to be watching for in preseason? No injuries. I mean, and uh, what is what is Monty's system look like uh you know and then when we talk about that end of the uh, end of the rotation too is is who does it look like is is gaining favor uh with with monty in in those cases i mean really you're not going to glean a lot from this we're not all of a sudden going to go oh that's exactly what monty williams is going to do you know it's it's a feeling out process in preseason usually it's pretty ugly basketball in general so i'm just no major injuries which we still need to talk about that portion of training camp before we before we leave here uh and then uh just just starting to starting to get a feel for the system and the rotation yeah i think uh what will be important to look for because i we noticed it in prior years is the is the preseason games looked really ragtag and the guys looked like they didn't know what they were doing a lot of the times um, so you needed someone like a TJ Warren to score 30 points or whatever, just to you know distract the fans. Uh, but they didn't look like they knew what they were doing much in prior years. And so I'm looking forward to seeing if these guys look like they know what they're doing um, uh, as as units, as as you know substitution patterns and things like that. Who plays well together? Who looks like they know what's going on? That's really important to me, even though we might not see the the um, the uh, extremes of the offense in preseason, it's not going to be like the Cardinals where you saw none of the offense in preseason and now they're paying for it because they didn't practice it well. Monty's too grown up for that. Monty is going to have them practice their actual offense. They might run a little slow in preseason. I would not, I would not be surprised if we're worried about the pace they're going to play at because in preseason, Monty's going to be wanting them to execute and not pre-think. Because you free think a lot better when you know the play you're supposed to be running. And so he's got to get them to know the plays first, and then they can free think and, and deviate off of that instead of just break down every time and go one-on-one or pick and roll. If we see tons of, like, breakdown, 10 seconds left in the clock, pick and rolls, then we know their offense isn't running very well. So that's what I'm looking for. Tim, are you looking for anything in preseason, or are you just going to blankly stare at us there? I was just going <laughs> to blankly stare. I was going to see if anybody uh, anybody uh, uh, picked up the slack if I didn't say anything. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm, because Dave and I have a problem talking on this show. Yeah, that's, I, that's I, the I really issue. I want to I want to see what what the uh, end of the bench point guard rotation 
looks like from the beginning of, of preseason, it's only four games, whatever, but from the beginning of preseason to the end of four season, uh, the end of the preseason, do we see uh, one of those point guards, one of the six point guards that the Suns have on the roster um, is starting to gain favor in terms of minutes. And then uh, maybe we can make some predictions heading, heading into the actual season about what we're going to see um, is Elliot Kobo getting any run out there at all. That's, that's something I'm really uh, interested in. Um, Shaq Diallo. I know we talked about Frank Kaminsky a little bit, whether or not Shaq Diallo is going to have much of a role with, with Frank Kaminsky out there. Um, I'm really interested to see if, if which one of those styles of players is more beneficial for this team. Frank Kaminsky is a good player who can shoot. He doesn't really do a lot else. Uh, sometimes having an energy big out there like a Shaq Diallo can, can be really beneficial. Uh, so those are some of the things talking about, like some of the rotations with, with some of the other guards with, uh, Devin Booker, uh, Tyler Johnson, Ricky Rubio, uh, you know, uh, who's playing with who out there, uh, in the backcourt. Are we going to see a Tyler Johnson with one of those other point guards, or are we going to see uh, a Ricky Rubio, uh, perhaps, uh, more with the Tyler Johnson? I'm, I'm really curious about some of those. Yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> I'm actually looking forward to that too. I really think they're, they're a perfect world. Uh, this is me totally projecting on Damani Williams and his coaching staff, so I could be totally wrong. But I really think the perfect world is that Tyler Johnson is Devin Booker's backup who happens to play a little bit of point if they're going to go Mikel Bridges and Oubre together when Booker's on the on the uh, bench. I don't think Tyler is going to play a lot with Devin, but I could see Tyler playing a lot with Ty Jerome and uh, possibly with Ricky Rubio depending on how they stagger Booker and Rubio. So that'll be interesting. Uh, we're not going to see like a real stagger in preseason. I doubt we ever see Rubio and Booker not playing together in preseason because there's no point on uh, running these guys ragged like we already talked about. Um, but I think in the regular season, they're they're probably hoping that Tyler Johnson looks pretty good next to Ricky Rubio and Ty Jerome uh, as 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 that backup backcourt. What I'm I'm in, another thing I'm interested in quickly here is Ricky Rubio. And DeAndre Ayton, do they do they already have some chemistry? Is uh, because Rubio was talking about how he's been studying tape of of his teammates and trying to figure out ways he can set them up. And I would love to see what just a little chemistry build between those two because I think it'll be uh, immensely important for Ayton's growth in in year two to to have them have good chemistry. I'm looking forward to Ricky Rubio demanding that DeAndre Ayton be in the right spot on rolls and, and rolls to the basket and all that with his passes. Ayton's going to have some, I can't believe that pass just came in. He was joking about it the other day. I don't know if you guys watched that little video I took of his interview. He was talking about how Ricky in their first five on five um, <clears throat> got a lot of passes right at Ayton and Ayton was not expecting them to get through all those players to him. So there's going to be a learning curve on that, but Aiton does have really good hands on the catch and really good finishing ability, really good body control. I can see him being an incredibly effective pick and roll finisher in the league. If he knows when to take off when it's Devin, you want to slip the screen really fast, but when it's Isaiah Kanan, he was talking about this early in the season last year. When it's Isaiah Kanan, you got to hold the pick a little bit longer, hold the screen a little bit longer, so Isaiah can get around it before rolling. And so he said every every player is different on when they want you to roll, and when they want you to stay and hold the screen. Um, so I wonder how Ricky Rubio is with that and how good a chemistry they have. But that's the key on on pick and rolling. I think is is the 
the big man knowing when to leave the screen and start his move. Uh, and that's, we'll have to see how that goes between those two. Cause Ricky Rubio is great as a pick and roll uh, setter. Aiden doesn't slip screens a lot, right? Well, trying he, to, trying I to think last talking, year. he doesn't set really good screens either. So I think he's just got timing issues on when to go because he wasn't great. I mean, he's pretty good at setting screens, but he wasn't great at setting screens. And and yet he wouldn't also slip immediately before the uh, defender got there to to confuse the defense. Um, no, you're right, Tim. But I think a lot of that was him being kind of sticking himself in no man's land. Well, the follow the follow up question to that though would be: uh, Do you want DeAndre Ayton slipping screens? Like, is is stylistically is is that a strong suit for him? I'm not <clears throat> sure uh, that it is. But well, if you want him to get ahead of steam toward the basket, he may have to. I don't know how his his first step is, but once he gets ahead of steam, man, he can finish really good. So I don't know. Um, that would be it'll be I'll be curious to see how good his chemistry is too with Rubio. All right, guys, anything else you want to go over? Yeah, can yeah we, the can, injury. Yeah, so what, you've got the lingering Kelly Oubre and, and Mikel Bridges. That was interesting. They didn't bring it up, obviously, at media day. We were all wondering who's really secretly injured that'll just suddenly not play in training camp. Turns out it's the two small forwards we've been talking about the Suns wanted to keep. Kelly Oubre with a discomfort in his hand. He's wearing a brace. And Mikel Bridges with discomfort in his knee. Neither of those appear to be something you want to have surgery on, or otherwise they would have probably just sucked it up and done the surgery. Um, so it looks like it's just a lingering thing, and we'll see how long it goes. But it is disappointing that those two couldn't play at all in training camp. Look, the term discomfort worries me because they're not being specific, and usually when you're not specific about what's going on with a guy – is because either A, you're not 100% sure what's going on with him, or B, it's something that could cause more alarm than, than, than anything if you said specifically what's going on. And that, that worries me immensely, especially with a new training staff here and the weird we're working with uh, Exos and then all of a sudden, well, that disappeared. And, well, we have, a, we have this training staff that we put together, like – that worries me because this is a whole new but on, group. But on the other side of it, Greg, um, Aaron Baines got smacked in the nose. Um, I forget how, but he got he had a big blood bloody kind of mark on his nose at the end of practice on Thursday, mm -hmm. and he joked with the media, going, "Ah, Monty told you whether I'm playing on Friday or not in practice." And and Aaron Baines was was kept out of practice well, just because his nose got hit. If it was a regular season. He wouldn't have been held out. So it's also possible that they're just in abundance of caution right now. It just did he did he refer to it as a nose discomfort when he talked about what happened to Baines? I just uh, it's pretty obvious there was a little <laughs> nose discomfort from the from the blood. I am just I I am just worried because it came out of nowhere. It's very vague, and uh, yeah. and they didn't they didn't even it wasn't like oh they they played in the morning walkthroughs and, and did this and and then they sat out the afternoon practice it's they were they were on the shelf for the entirety of training camp which we talked about it going into this was the one yeah. thing that you really couldn't have in training camp and preseason was anybody missing significant time and now you have your two top power or excuse me small forwards missing 
all of training camp when you install most of that system. Whether or not it's a serious injury, it's a major setback because now it's going to take them even longer to get acclimated to what money Williams wants to do with this. So it's a setback for a team that can't afford these if they want to accomplish anything of value this year. Going down that road with you, Greg, I think there is a lot of um, possibility here that these are things now that I said, oh, they haven't had surgery yet, so they must not be serious. I could totally see them limping through the week to get acclimated to the play calls, you know, like going through the morning practices, at least observing and seeing how Monty's schemes work, and then doing surgery like like we might get an announcement today, tomorrow, Monday, whatever, that one of them had some kind of minor surgery to clean up some minor debris. I wouldn't be surprised. You're right, Greg. Um, this could be something they were just waiting out the week uh, to to actually do something more serious about. But uh, if we don't hear of something in the next couple of days on some more serious, you know, uh, resolution of their injuries, I would expect they'd eventually be back. Yeah. I, so it, Serene Eclipse. <laughs> uh, Serene Eclipse. I'm sure that's uh, uh, an actual name in the chat. It says Cam Johnson will pick up the slack, and I actually think that there's a there's a good point to be to be made there that's why you draft a guy like cam johnson that has experience uh, granted college but played uh, entirety in college as a mature guy so he can come in if you have this kind of situation and pick up some of that slack so this is this is exactly why you do it otherwise if you'd went with the method that the team had gone with before you'd be relying on some 19 year old uh to to try to pick up that slack now. So, right. so I think that's a, a very, very valid point there. All right, guys. Well, the next time we talk will be Wednesday. We would have seen uh, at least one preseason or one preseason game uh, since then, plus the open practice. Dave, I'm assuming you're going to be there. Greg, are you going to be at the open practice? Uh, it depends. Probably, yeah, probably not. Probably yeah. not. Don't lie to us. Just say no. I I don't know. I would would I like to be? Yes. Will I be? Most likely not. Um, I'll definitely be at the open practice on Sunday and at the preseason game on Tuesday. Um, so, but then and we can talk about this Wednesday. I am out next weekend because I'll be up in Pine Top for the weekend. So, uh, we'll have to talk Wednesday for sure about um, observations from the first two public displays of the Suns team. Hey, by the way, real quick before we get out of here, congratulations to our friend, friend of the pod, John Bloom, who this week yes. uh, was yes. uh, <laughs> was it was announced that he was being replaced as the nor- voice of the Northern Arizona Suns, and uh, and then uh, a day later it came out uh, and, uh, w- that he will actually be doing upwards of twenty five <laughs> Suns games on the radio this uh, year as the Hall of Famer Al McCoy is going to take some road games off. So very excited. For John Bloom, not a harder working man in the business, not a nicer man and not a better talented guy to step in to that position. So very excited to see what he does uh, with uh, with filling in for Al McCoy this year. Yeah, I'm real happy for Bloomer as well. Good job, John. And he's just just like a genuinely good dude. Yep. Yeah, he is. We'll we'll have him on the show to talk about the new uh, the new spot sometime soon. When yeah, he's really absolutely. allowed to talk about it. I love it how he gave credit to the reporter for having the scoop when I'm like, uh, is it really technically you with the scoop, John? <laughs> John's known for I mean, a while. Was he not yeah. the first to know about this? <laughs> John, 
Oh, uh, by by the way, also, our boy Rhett Reese, new movie coming out next week. Uh, you got Zombieland 2. So go out there and support Rhett. We'll get him on the show soon, too. So if we're, we're, we're going to do some uh, well, just, we, just drops. Well, we can get him turned around on this team. He's pretty disappointed with the offseason. That makes it more entertaining, though. So, <laughs> so go watch Rhett's movie as well. Let's, uh, let's help everybody out and uh, make this a big community. So, and on that note, we will be back uh, doing this live. If you're listening on the podcast, you can always join us on the YouTube. Uh, that is going to be this Wednesday, 7 o'clock Arizona time. Join us on YouTube for a live version of the show where we'll actually get to dissect something we've seen that the Suns do on the court, which is really exciting. Woohoo, basketball! Yay!